There's a place on earth that images this, the, our God in community like no other place. There's a place where, uh, where people are only ever happy, where, uh, where, where everything is right. And whenever I am unhappy, I want to go there. Because this place is, uh, is just a, a great reflection of community. It's got all these diverse people from all different walks of life. Um, and they're all, they're all going for the same thing. They all know what they're there for. And they're, they're fired up about it. And they kind of pull you into it. And if you can't tell by how I'm saying this, it's, I think it should be clear by now that it's Trader Joe's. <laughs> I love that place. I seriously have never left Trader Joe's in a bad mood. I know that we don't have one here in Chattanooga, and I'm really sad about that. But the next time you're in in, uh, Nashville or Atlanta or wherever close here, make sure you go to Trader Joe's. I mean, that place is awesome. You're going to run across people... You know, like there'll be the uh, you kind of the retired gentleman who's picking up some extra hours, and he's there working. And then the then there's the um, the you know former stay-at-home mom who's working who's just working during the day, and she's there. And and then you've got like the the young person who's really struggling to find a job, so they work at Trader Joe's, and, and they've got like crazy hair and, and and all tatted up, and they're there, and they all are there together and they like each other and and they're happy to be there. And, you know, this, it's the quintessential ex, uh, example uh, of a bunch of individuals who are smoking what they sell, right? Like they are into what they're doing. They want you, that was a drug reference. Um, <laughs> they want, not condoning, uh, they want you to be into what they're into, right? They have they they think that their product is wonderful and will improve your life, and they they want you to be part of it, right? So it's this diverse community with a really compelling purpose, and it produces this wonderful place that I like to be a lot. I probably spend a lot more time there than I need to when I go, just for that reason. But I think Trader Joe's gives us a good picture um, of of what the church is called to be, what the community of God, um, the image of God as shown through in community, uh, what, what we're supposed to be like. And we have uh, three things that I want to, uh, to draw out and see in this text and in God's story of community through, through the Bible. And that is um, diversity, purpose, and presence. Diversity, purpose, and presence. Or put another way, love, work, and worship. Those are the three points for today. Love, work, and worship. Diversity, purpose, and presence. So if you look at our passage, uh, it's pretty clear that there's diversity right off the bat. Right? There, there are all these different people who are together in one place. Uh, it just starts out, they're all together. Now, if you would like to think that that's not diversity, then I challenge you to get a large group of people in any one place and see unity emerge, right? If, if, uh, if the people who are most like you in this world uh, are all in one place, you call that family, right? The people who share your genetics and most of your life experience. And as we all know, family is almost always peaceful and, and enjoyable and wonderful. Not really. Um, just when, when, when more than one person is there, that is, that's diversity, right? 
They're, they're gathering in diversity, but that's not enough because Luke, the writer of Acts, goes to great lengths to, uh, to show us something. And Becky, I'm really sorry that you had to read that. that you did a great job, though. That was a tough one. Um, I'm glad that you read it and not me. But why were all those hard words in there? Why were they part of this passage? Why did Luke make sure to, to take a long time to tell where all these people were from? Diversity, right? God's community is growing. Um, his, his truth and grace are going out. And people from all over the world are being drawn into it. There's great diversity in this, in this early, uh, early expression of, of the church. Diversity is necessary for life. If you don't believe me, ask yourself, why did I not marry my cousin? You can't. It's illegal for a reason, right? It, people, yeah, we won't go into that one. Um, diversity is necessary for life. And furthermore, not only necessary for life, this is a, this is a fascinating um, kind of, it's not a new topic of study, but it's kind of newly popular, I think, uh, uh, scientific branch called emergence. Anybody familiar with emergence? You can, uh, it studies everything from, from ants uh, and how their communities work, and, and birds, and, and, herds, and uh, herds of mammals, and uh, uh, to city planning and city development. It's this idea that when people are together, um, things happen, and they're actually a lot smarter. It started uh, with this guy, um, I always forget his name, Francis Galton. Oddly enough, uh, Francis Galton was the father of eugenics. He was like this dude who really thought that only the elite should have babies and everybody else should probably be killed or just be slaves. Like, so that the gene pool would get better and better and humanity... Okay, terrible guy. But he, had, he was studying, you know, kind of how populations work. And he was at a fair one day. This is back in the 1700s in England. He's at this fair and he thinks, wow, I am surrounded by a bunch of morons. I'm in this country fair. These people are idiots. And there's this kind of one of these booths, as there are at fairs, like a competition, a little, a little game that people can play. And there's this man standing at this booth with a cow. And he says, come up and guess the weight of this cow. Anybody can take a guess. If you get the, if you get the, the weight right, you get the cow. You can have this cow. It's much akin to like our guess the number of jelly beans. You know, a cow would be better though. I'd like to see that at the Fairland Festival next year, Kathy. So, the, guess the weight of the cow, right? So, uh, so, Francis Galton, assumption, these people are morons. They can't, they won't get anywhere near it. They'll be way off because they're idiots. Uh, but he goes, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of validate my, my idea here. And he goes to the, the booth guy at the end of the day and says, can I have all the responses back, please? The guy gives for sure, gives them to him. And he tallies them up and he takes every response and he averages out the number. Right, that some people guessed, you know, some weight and others another. He takes them all, divides them by the, as averages out, divides it by the number of people there, and guess what their guess what their guess was? These all kinds of people, not cow people, not farmers necessarily, and their guess averaged out was one pound off the exact weight of that cow. That's eugenics. No, I'm sorry, that's emergence. Eugenics would be the opposite. We'd kill them all. All right, that's emergence. That together somehow. Somehow we, we're coming, uh, somehow a community is actually smarter than its individuals. Nobody guessed the exact weight of the cow, not even the uh, cow experts on hand. But together, their answer was, was essentially right on the money. 
there's something about diversity in a group that is that is a positive thing that we're smarter in that group. But why why don't we do it? If, if diversity is necessary for life and and, uh, and and you're actually smarter if you're part of a group like that, why don't we why don't we uh, embrace this kind of diversity more often? When I was in high school, uh, I was uh, and I was a senior. We had these small group uh, Bible studies. We called them discipleship groups as part of our church. So, so six, seven, eight um, kids would have one adult leader, and you'd study the Bible together, pray together, um, these kind of things. My group was uh, was kind of the the big shot group of seniors. Um, the, the saying holds true for us: if you could have bought us for what we uh, for what we were worth and sold us for what we thought we were worth. You would have made a pretty penny. We thought uh, thought fairly high, highly of ourselves, and and our group involved uh, reading the Bible, praying with each other, and watching 90210. That's just what we did. And uh, I didn't I didn't actually want to watch 90210. I just did it with the group. Um, so so we thought we were pretty uh, hot stuff. And then this one day, our group leader comes, our, the adult leader comes in and says, hey, listen, one of the junior group of guys is dissolving, and then we need to kind of disperse those juniors around. And uh, we're being asked to take two of those juniors into our group. And he turns to us and says, what do you guys think? And we, without a moment's hesitation, said, absolutely not. No, no, we don't. We, they're, junior, they're not cool like us. You know, they don't, they don't kind of know what we did. They would, it would throw off our dynamic. You know, we wouldn't, they wouldn't get us. We wouldn't get, that's not a good idea. Not at all. So the next day, our, um, our youth pastor calls us in. He says, Hey, I want to meet with you guys. And he gets us in there and he really, he really let us have it. He said, Who do you think you are? And he turned actually to this exact passage from Acts 2 that we read, um, a little later down the line. It says that, that daily, People were added to their number, speaking of the church. He said, who do you think you are to keep people out like this? Right? And what actually happened in that moment is why I think most of us don't want diversity in a group, whether it's a group of friends or or a Bible study or or a home group or or even our churches uh, or places of work. We don't actually want diversity because of what happened there. We were exposed. Do you see that? Like... Those guys, they didn't even join our group. And they, they showed us, before they even joined, they showed us what jerks we were. That we were arrogant and self-centered and self-protective and insecure. And that was before they even got there. I think that's why none of us, that we have a resistance to this diversity in a group. We don't like it. We don't like the exposure. We could get exposed. All our shortcut language is just a front. We don't really know what we're talking about, and we certainly don't live as if what we're talking about is true. We're afraid to be known that somebody could see inside of us, and if they knew us how we really are, they really knew us, then they would reject us, right? They would push us away. They would hate us. Have you ever um, have you ever taken a video? Have somebody take a video of you or record your voice, and then somebody plays it back, and you say, "Oh my gosh, do I really sound like that?" And what does everybody around you say? Yeah, they're like, "I sound like such a weenie. I hate. Oh, it's awful." No, that's what you always sound like. Or or a picture of yourself, and you you see it, and you say, "Oh, that's a terrible." Well, you wouldn't. Do, you'd be holding your phone. That's a terrible picture of me. No, that's actually what you always look like. 
But it's, it's, something, it's a time when you get out of yourself and you look at yourself from, in the way other people see you or hear you. And that's what community offers. And that's what, particularly what a diverse community offers. And I think that's why it's terrifying. The idea that we could be exposed. Not only expose me, but it exposes my schedule and my comforts and my control. If I let these other people in, as Eric often says, I might get some of their trouble on me. They would all of a sudden have the rights, start begin to have rights into my into the way I operate, into my life, and how I spend my time. And if I'm happy or not. I might get some of their sadness on me and be sad with them. It exposes us. We have a lot less control. But community, this community in the image of God is not supposed to be comfortable. Henry now says it this way. Community is not easy. Somebody once said, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. In Jesus' community of twelve apostles, the last name was that of someone who was going to betray Him. That person is always in your community somewhere. In the eyes of others, you might be that person. That doesn't sound very fun, does it? Being exposed... Living with somebody that you hate or that may turn on you? If diverse community won't make you happier, why should we involve ourselves in it? What's the point? That brings us to our second part, the purpose of a community. What's it for? What, what is a community that images God for? What happens, um, and, and, and we, we have to have a purpose so what is the smallest kind of the smallest scale human community would be two people in relationship. And the most the most intensive version of that small scale is marriage. Right? Two different people coming together in a relationship, in a deep intimate relationship where they are very known, very exposed. What happens when a, when a diverse community like that comes together and loses its purpose? Loses its meaning? Well, we found out that answer in America about 30 years ago. Did you know that? About 30 years ago, there was this movement to change, to change the laws concerning divorce. Um, and the no-fault divorce came into effect about 30 years ago. See, previous to that, you actually had to prove that someone was at fault in your relationship. You had to come before a judge and say, uh, you know, my husband did this or that. Uh, you know, they we're unfaithful in some way. They've, they've done something that damages me uh, significantly. They, something. You had to prove some reason while somebody was at, at fault. But now, but now all you have to do is say, I don't really like this anymore. I don't think I'm in love with this person anymore. I'm not happy anymore. And you can get out of it. You can't even do that to a roommate. Like, if you sign a lease, you can't do that. But somehow we decided that this, that like the most intertwined contract in human existence, you can just back right out of it because you're not happy. What that tells us, what that shows, is that we've lost the purpose of marriage. You see, if you can get out of it just because you're not happy, why are you in it in the first place? Why are you part of it? Because it's going to make me happy. Listen, marriage is as old as humanity. 
And it's all around the world. There's not a culture that doesn't celebrate and uphold um, a significant union between man and woman. And in every place and every time, marriage is about something so much bigger than your happiness. It's about the whole society, and and particularly about the children. It's about raising a family. That's what marriage, that's what marriage all around the world, this is just like taking all the, all of it all together. That's what it's about. But that's the purpose that would keep marriage together. But when we say, actually, it's about the happiness of adults, what happens? The children get lost. I mean, I'm sure you could guess what's happened in those 30 years since, since America enacted the no-fault divorce. Uh, divorce rates have skyrocketed. Uh, children growing up in single-parent homes has, has gone up uh, dramatically. You know what else? Drug use, um, early pregnancy, crime, prison time. All of those things can be shown to have a direct correlation to, to growing up in a single-parent family. When a community loses its purpose, it destroys itself. When a community loses its purpose, it destroys itself. But God's gathered and set apart people have always had purpose and belonged to a story that predated them and would outlive them by far. Listen, if Trader Joe's mission can mobilize those people, what can God's mission do for His church? Chris Wright, one author, says it this way, It's not so much the case that God has a mission for His church in the world, but that God has a church for His mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. God's mission. You see, mission in the church, mission in your community, mission among your group of friends, and even in your marriage, is not a tack-on. It's not an optional addition. It's not like deciding to get leather seats in your car. It's something that is intrinsic. It's like the wheel of the car or, or the engine. It has to be there. It's not a car. It has to, mission has to be there. It's not a community. It's something less, something different. There's no such thing as growing in love of Christ and faith and joy in Him without joining Him on His mission in the world. You see, this passage that we're reading is really the culmination. This Acts 2 is the culmination of, of, um, of God setting apart His people and giving them, uh, putting His name on them and giving them a mission. You see, in the garden, Adam and Eve, when God says, I'm making them in my image, He says, um, uh, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over it. He gives them a purpose. He says, I will be with you. I'm your God. I'll be with you. When you live out that purpose. We see the Abraham passage that we read. uh, He said, go and be a blessing to all nations. Be a blessing to all nations. Do you see what's happening in this passage? That God is putting His presence on His people and He is making them a blessing to all nations. He's fulfilling His purpose. And his mission through his church. A diverse and purposeful group sounds like a great idea. But why don't our lives more fully reflect that? Well, I think it comes back to this exposure that, that we don't join a community, we don't throw ourselves into it um, because, because we, we're afraid of getting exposed. 
being fully known and being fully accepted. That's a big risk. I think a lot of groups that, uh, today uh, join together and they say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept. We are going to accept the members of our group. There is no judgment here. We're going to accept them. And that's great. Except that they leave out knowing. I don't care what you do. It's okay if you do whatever with your life. It's okay if you believe something. I'm going to accept you. Do you know what that actually amounts to? Indifference. You can, you can do whatever you want with your life, even if it's destroying yourself. And I won't, I won't intervene. I'll just accept. I won't speak truth to you. I won't, I won't stop that. I think a lot of our communities are based on that. Acceptance without knowledge. Or the, the, the opposite of that is, is a community based on knowing without acceptance. I think that's the religious community where you expect, you, you feel, uh, and many of you probably feel this. Uh, have at some point in your life, maybe even feel it right now as part of this community. You feel like you live under a microscope, like people are watching. And if you don't measure up, like they know you. And if you don't measure up, and if you don't do it all right, then you don't belong. You're kicked out. You're pushed away. You're put on the fringes. You see, there's no human community that can embody knowledge and acceptance fully. There just isn't one. God has said from all time that He is um, that He knows His people, that He is near them. But it's not enough for Him just to know us. Then we just feel exposed. We must be accepted by Him. Otherwise, we have to closely monitor our brand and, and monitor ourselves and make sure we're towing the line. And that kind of community full of self-watchful people can never thrive. There is one place, last point, there's one place in this world where you are fully known and fully accepted, and that's before the maestro. Now, I'm not a music person, but if I were... Uh, this probably would, would come across in a lot better color and, and excitement. But, but uh, nevertheless, um, what, is it, what is it in music that makes harmony? Harmony comes in music when, when different is it notes are played to make one chord, right? Something like that. I don't know all the words. Is that close enough, Matt? Okay, different things come together and they, and they, and they sound uh, a chord, Right? They make a chord when they come together. That's harmony. It's diversity and purpose coming together. And, it, and it, it's way more beautiful than a single note plucked on one string. Right? But if you took an orchestra and you said, play a chord together, and they, I, I, I presume they would ask, how should we tune our instruments? Right? And if they looked at each other and said, I'm going to tune to whatever else I want. I'm going to tune to this or to the guy next to me or to some cool tuning that I made up. And, and um, then you wouldn't get harmony, right? You wouldn't receive that. But, but if there's a maestro, then he can tell everybody how their instruments should operate and how they should be, um, how they should be adjusted. And the maestro can bring about harmony because the maestro knows he knows 
what needs to happen. He knows. So what's, uh, what's going on in our passage here? As we see a diverse people coming together um, with a purpose. And God's presence is on them. What's different about this gathering than about Adam and Eve who failed, or than Israel who failed God's purposes for community? What's different this time? There's a tip-off in the last line of our passage. It says this. I'll read it from our bulletin. Um, Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. How is that a tip-off? What happens when you've had too much wine? A lot of things can happen when you've had too much wine. But the very basic thing that happens is that you forget yourself. Right? You forget who you are. You forget what's expected of you. You forget and you don't care about social norms. Right? That's what people are saying about, about this community uh, of Christians, this, or this initial community of Christians. They've forgotten themselves. They're acting so out of accord with what we would expect of them that they must be drunk. They are self-forgetful people. How did that happen? How did, how did these people get self-forgetful? They got, they got to be self-forgetful because they know, they know that they drink the wine of gladness because their Savior drank the wine of judgment. On the cross, Jesus says, I'm thirsty. And what is lifted up to Him? Wine. Wine is lifted up to Him. All through Scripture, God has said, I'm going, I'm going to make um, evildoers drink my cup of wrath, my wine cup of wrath to the dregs. And so on the cross, Jesus does just that as a stand-in for all the evildoers. He says, I know. I know the evil. I know what you have done. I know what you will do. I know what is inside you. And I'm going to drink it for you. You see, that's the wine that can make you self-forgetful. That's the wine that can so affirm you that you'll never have to ask again. You are known and you are accepted. That is the wine that Jesus drank, so that you get to drink the wine of gladness and self-forgetfulness. So you get to be part of a, a community that is diverse, that will expose you, that will draw you into a story that's much bigger than your own life. I pray that we would go from here living as that kind of community. Diversity, purpose, and worship. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You, have, uh, that you Jesus, drank the cup of wrath that we could get the cup of joy. We pray that You would make us self-forgetful people. We want to be people who think so much of You and so much of our neighbor that we don't care what anybody else thinks of us because You have spoken Your love over us. We want to be people who are far more concerned about the others in our family, in our gathering, um, and and in every other place that community is expressed. Make us self-forgetful people to Your glory, Jesus. Amen.